Hello and welcome to KMUK's Kind to Your Mind podcast. There's no two ways about it. This year has been hard. We're all doing our best, whether that's struggling homeschooling and Zoom calls, filling our time on furlough or going into work every day to keep the country moving. When you're having a tough time, it's pretty tempting just to retreat into yourself and feel like you're the only one struggling. Spoiler alert, you're not. And that's what this podcast is all about opening up and sharing about a variety of topics to make us all feel a little less alone. There's power in talking, so let's chat. We'll cover everything from how to support a colleague or friend, personal stories of living with mental health problems, and a variety of general wellbeing topics like domestic abuse and neurodiversity. So let's get started. Hi, it's uh, Faith Booth here from the communications team. Um, I'm a parent at KN and if you haven't already got onto the KN Kids Club, then do so. But I'm joined today by Sarah Ferdinand, who is actually running the Kids Club for us. So we thought it would be a great opportunity for you to pop your earphones in, listen to something different. And uh, with it being Children's Mental Health Week, Sarah's really well placed to, to share a little bit more on that. So Sarah, over to you. Thank you, Faith. That's a lovely introduction. Thanks very much. And hello to everyone who's listening out there from Kuna uh, Nagel. It's an absolute pleasure to be providing Kids Club to you guys at the moment, a time which is very difficult for everybody. And uh, we're just looking for ways through to try and promote, obviously, uh, the children's mental health, but also the mental health of the Kununaga employees. So yeah, I was going to be talking today a little bit in preparation for uh, Child Mental Health Week about ways and strategies that you can use to try and improve your mental health and as I say to kind of get through this very difficult period and keep your you know keep your smile (laughs) so how are you finding it at the moment Faith? Um, I think if I had to sum up in two words it would be horrific and nightmare if I'm being completely honest I think it's been and I'm sure there'll be lots of parents that it kind of resonates with but you know working although um, KN have been very supportive in kind of the flexible it's trying to juggle everything being a mum being a wife uh, being now a homeschooler and and working I think there's a lot to cram in and I've got two children so I've got you know double that mum 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 can you do this so it it's, um, it's been a challenge and I've actually found it quite hard this time round. And I think my children have as well in terms of the, the novelty wore off a long time ago of homeschooling and not seeing their friends. So but we're trying different ways to kind of keep our motivation going and keep our, our mental health in, in check, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I definitely hear you there because it is uh, a real challenge trying to juggle everything, trying to be good at work. And as you say, uh, available and present family member whether that's a a mother or a a husband or a wife or whatever it is and not only that but you've also got your other relatives who you can't see or your friends that you need to check in with so it just feels like there's quite a lot of giving that needs to be done and actually that's something I want I will be covering is how to keep on giving you know what you need to do to support yourself in that so what I thought I'd do is just run through kind of my top four tips to sort of help to um, understand how to improve our mental health and how to sort of keep ourselves in check and keep ourselves well at a time which is as you say really really challenging and and something of a nightmare and that's kind of why we're here isn't it to sort of be there to listen and support So I'm going to start with my top one, number one, which is um, emotional intelligence. And it's probably a buzzword that we're all very familiar with now. 
but certainly when I've been working in schools, um, particularly with the younger children, we use something called a mood meter. I don't know if you've come across that in your work. Yeah, the, the, for the children, they've had similar things at school, but it's based on kind of rain clouds and, and rainbows, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is a um, this is a, a kind of American import, I guess, um, the mood meter, and you can access it online. I'll put some links in the um, podcast chat at the bottom. But the mood meter is basically a, an image which has got four parts to it. You've got sort of red, yellow, blue, and green, and it kind of represents in the four quarters the different types of emotions that we might experience. Um, and the reason it's quite useful for working with children is because even the very little ones, you know, whether they're in sort of uh, reception or year one, they can connect with it, they can understand. Um, and the idea is that the different mood, the different colours represent the different moods. So, for example, red would be, you know, angry or, you know, super energetic or very passionate. Um, whereas yellow might be really happy and upbeat and feeling positive. You know, it might move into green, which would be, I'm feeling quite calm, I'm feeling really relaxed. And then blue can be, you know, calm, but also going in towards that sort of low mood, slightly more depressive state. And obviously thinking about those four colours is a really nice, simple way of measuring our own mood. The little ones may only understand the terms, you know, the emotional words of, of happy, sad, angry and blue or feeling a little bit low. But as you get older, you know, the children will have an increased vocabulary how to explain their feelings. They might be feeling, you know, as I say, en energized, peeved. They might be feeling furious. They might be feeling really hyped. Whatever that word is that describes their feeling, they can then kind of chart it on this mood meter. And, and it's brilliant, actually. If you type into Google or whatever um, mood meter, there's, there are charts that you can print out at home. You can stick on the wall. Or, you know, for older kids or even for parents, you can download an app. And it's just a really nice way of tracking your mood in a moment. Um, and it is really important to say and to explain to children as well that your moods don't define you. So you might have a feeling in a day. You might wake up and just feel furious. Completely understandable. I'm furious. You know, there's a lot of things at the moment that make me feel upset, hopeless, angry, anxious, you know, but... That doesn't define me. I'm not that as a person. That's a mood and it's a transient state. Um, but for a child to kind of understand that, it might simply be a case of, well, you know, at the moment you are feeling, you, you seem really angry. So we can put you in the red. But now let's think about how we're going to take you on a journey to where you want to be. Um, and we kind of talk about it, you know, where you are now. Let's name it. Let's place it. But then where do you want to be? Well, I want, I want to feel calm. Okay, so let's look at then how we can how we can achieve that. So that mood meter really helps us to be able to pinpoint the feelings and to be able to know that they aren't us, that we aren't that, but they are just simply a transient state, which we can change and we have power over that outcome. So that's my first metaphor, the, the mood meter, if you like. Um, and as I say, do you know you can download that, you can print it off, you can make one yourself. That could be a nice craft activity to do at home. Really is just uh, a rectangle or a large square split into four quarters with the red, the blue, the green and the yellow. And the next thing I wanted to talk about was, was the idea of self-care. And that kind of links in with the mood meter when I talk about how you move from one state into another. So if I was feeling really quite down and, you know, that at the moment is quite a common state. You know, I must admit there are times when I feel 
really hopeless about what's going on and really quite down about it. I don't want to stay in that state and I don't really sometimes know how to get out of it. Um, but that's when the self-care comes in, you know, how do I fill up my cup with things that are going to take me out of that mood? I know that going for a run works for me. So that's something that I can use. I'll say, right, I can go for a run. I know that if I'm putting on some really loud music and dancing around in the kitchen, like who knows what, I don't care. I love it. It makes me feel amazing. I get flooded with endorphins. I'm suddenly out of that low mood and I maybe moved over to yellow. It might be that I just want to phone a friend because I just need to talk. As you heard, I like to talk a lot. And that's something that for me really helps. I don't know if, if any of these things are resonating for you, Faith, whether that idea of identifying a mood and then being able to move from one to the other is something you've experienced or tried. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, Sarah. I'm, I, I consider myself quite fortunate in that I can, I know when I'm in a mood. I know it sounds silly, but I know when I'm on that slippery path to the kind of to the grey dark days where you just think oh my god please be bedtime already and I think it's and I'm quite good at communicating with the girls um my two girls and and it does work both ways and they're quite good at sharing that but it is it's, it is that getting yourself out of that downward funk sometimes for me I like to go out and get fresh air I try and exercise <laughs> but I think even just being out in nature for me really works whether that's just having a cup of tea in the garden and just being present and listening to birds and just letting my mind sort of drift off and and I'm quite good at kind of trying to do that I think the challenge that I found is with children is you know you can tell when they've woken up in a bad mood and it's trying to do something with them that kind of gets them out of that that kind of feeling a bit glum state and moving them into a better place. Sometimes it might be baking or going outside, but it's a challenge at the moment with, you know, you can't go to the cinema, you can't do everything fun. And so I think finding those little ways to help improve their state is, is yeah, anything, any tips on that would be great. Definitely. I mean, it sounds amazing that you're able to communicate your feelings comfortably with one another. And that's something that I think is, is brilliant because as a parent or, you know, the care, main caregiver for your children, you're modelling that behaviour to them, which is amazing. And it's something that, again, we try and do in school or when we're working in a sort of therapeutic capacity with children is being able to model naming those feelings. And you talk about waking up feeling a bit, you know, in a bit of a low funk. That's brilliant. If you know that if that terminology is available to the younger people in your home, they will be able to confidently use that language and know that that isn't, as I say, that sort of defining state. And so those conversations become easier to have. And, you know, sometimes we can have a lot of shame or, you know, anxiety or self-judgment around feeling something other than positive. And it's wonderful when we make them feel positive and that's great. But if we don't feel like that, it can feel quite isolating and shame-inducing. So being able to say, do you know, I'm just in a real low fun today. Gosh then we can all laugh at it and that's amazing. I think that's such a positive thing to bring. But I think it is our kind of our role as the person modeling that behavior, the adult in the family to do that. And sometimes it's hard. Mm. So one of the things that I've found works really well and it's come up for me before when I've had sort of cognitive behavioral therapy and things is, you know, I'm, you talked about your mother, you've got two children at home, you've got family, you've got, you know, you're now a teacher, you're now full-time employee. How do you keep on giving and same with me, you know, I work full time, I've got three children, I've got a dog, I'm running the house. There's just so many things I need to give my time to. 
how do I go about doing that without just diminishing all of the essence of myself? Um, and that's the whole, when I come back to the metaphor of filling my own cup. If I've got an empty cup, I can't give anything to you. But if my cup is full, I can give half to you. I can give half to me. We're both happy. But how do I do that? And you talk about going for a run or going out in nature, listening to the birds. I mean, those are fantastic. Um, and some people have different things. It might be journaling. It might be crafting. It might be, you know, talking to a therapist, getting outside, just taking a few minutes to breathe. And, you know, it's about finding the thing that works for you. Some people don't know what those things are. So, again, it's about making suggestions. If, you know, my daughter will be sitting Oh, you know, in front of a screen for hours on end doing our homeschooling. And I'll be like, oh, do you know you haven't been out for some fresh air? Let's go out. I don't want to. Oh, I don't want to. And it's such an effort to get her out. But when she does, she always loves it. And I say, see, you always love to go out. Every time you never regret going out for that fresh air, even though it's raining. Um, and so it's just about having that, I guess, that sort of self-awareness of what works for you might not work for someone else, but it's about kind of trying new things and finding ways to fill your own cup. But it is important to get your own needs met first before you try and squeeze everything out of yourself for other people. And I do feel like in our society, we are very much used to just giving, 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 perfectionism, achievement. I've got to do this. I've got to, my kids have got to get the grades. I've got to be fantastic at everything, but I actually don't. Yeah, it, it's a good point, Sarah, because actually, I mean, I'll be quite sort of honest and, um, you know, it takes a toll on on your personal relationship. So my husband and I will probably kill me for sharing this kind of stuff. But, you know, like you do when you're in a long term relationship, you have your ebbs and flows and your ups and downs. And I think the last 12 months, you know, it has been a challenge um, for us kind of being married. And a lot of that stems from what you've just said in my ability or inability, as it turns out, to put myself first, because I think sometimes there is that guilt of like, I, you know, I've got children or I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I think to prioritize and in fairness to him, he's always saying you should prioritize yourself more. And and it, it, I, I kind of guess I'm so used to giving that it's hard to claw back some of that I'm faith this is me I used to like doing this stuff before you know before marriage and kids and and you kind of let your identity in a weird way slip away and it kind of links into what you're saying in keeping your cup for you half full or however full it needs to be and I've started taking steps towards that and I think, like you say, like visualising a cup or a basket or a pot or whatever it may be of what do I enjoy? What gives me pleasure? And actually remembering to do those things has helped shift my mindset. It's working. So I think that is really, really useful. And I think it should be something that I try and do with the kids as well in terms of what makes them happy, what fills their little cups other than sweets, <laughs> sweets and TV and yeah. I think that's so amazingly honest and, and vulnerable thing to admit to. And it's, so, you know, I would imagine that most people listening to this can really connect and resonate with what you've just said, because it's really hard to be in a relationship and to be giving to everyone else. And it's very easy to lose sight of who you are. And like you said, the faith that was before all of this stuff, you know, where's she gone? I mean, that certainly resonates with me. I spent absolutely years in that state of I lost Sarah completely. I was just mum. I was mum to three children and one of those children was very sick. 
and I was working and I was trying to be the best mother I could be and I was trying to be a really present wife and cook the dinner and keep the house all these things seemed to, to be more important than me and in that time I can tell you I didn't dance I didn't sing I didn't write I didn't create anything and I became more and more depressed and lonely and isolated but I was still absolutely achieving everything on the outside no one would look in and be like well she's failing they'd be mm. like how's she doing all that it's amazing she looks so good I don't know if I did look good but you know <laughs> the outward appearances my makeup was on you know I was dressed properly I, I everything but inside I was dying horrible and it took so much for me to go oh I can't carry on like this I've got to find who I am again and I've got to start filling up my cup or whatever like you say whatever yeah to use because I can't genuinely give of myself to my children if I'm not myself anymore um so I think it takes real <clears throat> courage and vulnerability to admit that that it's hard um but that's almost the first step on the journey to making that recovery or being present being authentic and for some people you know their practice might be yoga or mindfulness or journaling or whatever it is where they just remember who they are and just take a moment in the day to go who who am I who am I who's Mm -hmm. there whoever that's who I am and what are my intentions for today what do I want to achieve out of my day um and that brings me neatly onto my next metaphor um because and actually if my daughter was there which is not today she would roll her eyes that I'm actually using this because she had this in her PSHE session the other day and I was like oh oh I'm using that it was (laughs) it was the rocks in the jar metaphor um you know this image of a jar and you can just put all the sand and all the little things in it like you can fill it up with all your little tasks I've got to clean the house I've got to go shopping I've got to oh I must do this I must do that admin pay that bill blah 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 and then suddenly your jar is full of all this kind of the minutiae the things that aren't actually that important that haven't really made your life essentially worthwhile um, and there's no room for the big things like the rocks, you know, where there's no room for that phone call with my best friend or there's no room for playing, you know, a card game with my son. Those are the things actually that make my life have meaning. The big rocks, the family, the friends, my health. I mean, I'm certainly realising that as I as I tip over the wrong side of 40. <laughs> you know, like, damn, my knees are hurting when I go running. That means I actually have to make time to stretch how annoying but actually, how important, because if I don't make time to stretch, my knees are only going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I've got my relationship with my kids. They're getting older. It's only a matter of time before they'll be leaving the home and going to university. I might regret not having sat down and played that, that card game that I kept putting off because I had to clean the house. And so it's those things that annoying as it sounds, because actually, you know, everyone's busy just say like actually this half an hour is a sacred half an hour and I am going to play a silly game or go for a run or phone a friend and that is important actually that's a rock and all the other things you know and we talk about like the pebbles and this is not to diminish work in any way but you know your job your hobbies the nice things they are kind of more pebbles they aren't the fundamental essences of our lives they're nice to have they are important but they do come after our health and our family and then, yeah, as I say, the sand, the smaller things, they can be fitted in around those other big things. But it's so easy for us to fill our, our jars up with all the sand, then not have room for the other things. 
that uh, you know, cliched as it might sound, I think it's a really important image to hold in our consciousness as we go through this busy, busy times and say, do you know what? I'm finishing work at four today. And actually I'm going to spend half an hour with my child or I'm going to do some yoga because that's going to make me a way more effective employee, mother, spouse, whatever, for the rest of the weekend. So I would say that that is something that, that I would recommend prioritizing for you and for you know, teaching that lesson to the children. Yeah, I'm going to give that a go. I'm also looking out my window and I've been saying for the last few days, I really need to clean the windows. But having had this conversation, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give myself the time back and I'm going to do something. Yeah, one of those rocks. Yeah, absolutely. Put a rock in instead. So get the sound. I was like, I imagine just tipping the sound out all over the floor, making a big old mess and not cleaning it up. Yeah, <laughs> which is what my kids do. So I think my kids have kind of got that down. Yeah, it's it's a good one. I quite like the metaphors. And I don't, you know, as people are listening to this, um, hopefully it is a good way for them to visualise and, you know, resonate with it. Um, but I think, it, I don't know if it's sort of for the kids, I think sometimes we can draw things and they can fill it in. But I'm always conscious of kind of um, male colleagues. And I don't know, I know we're talking about children predominantly, but just from my own experience, I do find, you know, women tend to on the whole open up. But I think there might, you know, there's quite a lot of challenges. I bet there's, there must be guys listening to this feeling that, but don't feel that they're able to potentially like communicate that with. Or I don't know if there, there's anything sort of specific, not that they can do, but, you know, it plays into everybody, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's such an important point to raise, Babe. Thank you, because... You're right to say not all of us are kind of culturally uh, accustomed to expressing our feelings. And I say particularly that's the case in the UK. It is also um, a male trait. I mean, everyone's different, but I know that that has come up for a lot of my male friends, not being able to necessarily express how they're feeling because culturally expectation is that they don't. So, yeah, that brings me nicely on to my final metaphor, actually. Um, and I take a lot of inspiration from an incredible woman called Brene Brown. And I will, again, include a link to her work. Um, Brene Brown is a researcher in shame and vulnerability. And she's got some amazing TED Talks, which you can access online, and some incredible insights into, into mental health, into vulnerability, shame, and also empathy. So she talks a lot about these things and she, some of her TED talks are hilarious because she talks about, you know, she's, she's just really well known now, TED talk um, expert in these issues. And quite often she gets asked to go into corporate environments and be like, right, can you come and, you know, talk to our clients about, our, 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 sorry, our employees about, about their mental health and about well-being and stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure, that would be amazing. And then she's told by them, just don't mention vulnerability and shame, okay? Just don't talk about it. <laughs> you know, because I think quite often, although that is kind of the central part of the things that lead us down the path of deep depression and anxiety, that is almost the very thing that we can't talk about. Because who wants to admit to being vulnerable or being ashamed or feeling depressed? I mean, that's just so horrible but actually the very idea of opening up about those things it kind of sheds light on it and it stops it being so horrendously isolating so Brene Brown has this incredible um, sort of insight into empathy and how we connect with people when they are feeling vulnerable or feeling low or feeling isolated final kind of um, metaphor that she uses is this idea of when someone's feeling low or when someone's feeling like things aren't going well, 
they quite often will take themselves into this sort of dark hole. She, she kind of draws it like the bear actually kind of walking along and, and cutting a hole in the ground and just sinking down into it. And it's really, it's really dark in there and they're alone. And she says, you know, what's the difference between empathy and sympathy? Well, sympathy is like, you know, someone walking along and looking down the hall and being like, oh, you right down there? That looks dark. Ooh, wouldn't want to be down there. You know, giving all these like, oh, well, uh, are you okay? You know, how's it going, Dad? Do you want a sandwich? You know, looking down into this hole. And this idea of actually with empathy, you know, you can walk along and see someone's down in that hole and it's a case of you kind of need to climb down and get down there with them and sit in that dark place with them and try not to make it better. Just tell them that you're there. I mean, I really highly recommend you watch the video because it really, it, I put a link on the, on the um, podcast, but it really does kind of visualize the idea really, really clearly. When someone's in a dark place, and as we've said at the beginning of this podcast, this is something that's happening quite frequently for everybody at the moment. Just to go and sit with that person, to be with that person, to say, I notice that you're feeling down and I don't know how to make that better for you, but I'm here. And I hear you, I love you, I care about you. Just to say that you're there and if they want to talk to you, they can. That's I think that's a really, really powerful thing to do. And it's so tempting to sort of, when someone expresses something vulnerable to you, for example, I'm just really struggling with my marriage at the moment, or I really don't know how to connect with my friends right now. It's really, really hard. It's so tempting to be like, oh, well, you know, it's okay because at least you are married or, you know, oh, well, that, you know, but at least, uh, at least you've got some school to go to and oh, you're really lucky because you've got, that might be true, but that is definitely not what people need to hear when they're in that mental state of feeling really, really low. So this idea of not going to sort of silver line everything, which is such a kind of well-intentioned next step when someone tells you something that's really, really hard to hear, just be vulnerable with that with that space and I feel you that, that sounds really really hard I'm so sorry but thank you for sharing that with me I think that's um that's really sound advice Sarah actually because I am quite a silver linings person as well <laughs> I will I, I will try and put a positive spin on the on the darkest of things but actually I think acknowledging and that, and that empathy bit um I think is really, really important. So, you know, next time my kids are feeling a bit sort of down, I think rather than being like, but you've got food on the table and a roof on your head and shoes on your feet, I think, you know, maybe I'm going to pause that and just think actually acknowledge what they're saying and and empathize with that rather than going straight to well you've got it better than some um kind of approach so yeah it's good it's good I'm gonna I'm gonna try that definitely it is it's it's sort of counterintuitive I think because we are it's such a good intention to try and silver line and try and distract you know someone's feeling down let's go out in the old days we actually go out let's go out for a drink or let's go dancing whatever sometimes you know that does distract for a while but it doesn't meet the need and the need is I need to be heard I feel down and it might be something that for someone else is kind of insignificant it might be I'm feeling down about the way I look I'm feeling down about the thoughts in my head it might be that and for somebody else those things might not really be that significant or relevant or important however the idea of empathy you know as as you said is, is actually just sitting with that 
their feelings and being present for that. I hope you can hear my dog, but she seems to have a lot to say about it. <laughs> Your um, dog is in agreement. <laughs> um, a couple of, a couple of, kind of um, tools that I use with this, with my children and with children I teach is, uh, first of all, is checking in. And that can be done in a lot of different ways. So checking in might be, hey, how are you doing today? Just checking in, how are you feeling? You know, and that might be met with, again, coming back to what we said at the beginning with the mood meter, I'm feeling really angry. Oh, okay. Let's, uh, so you're feeling angry. So that maybe put you on the red part of the mood meter. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm really wondering, do you know why? Or is there anything I can do? Or do you want to talk about it a little bit more? So it's just giving them that opening up. There's no judgment there. It's about just acknowledging that they are feeling like that. Or like, yeah, do you know, that, that, that must feel really horrible. I'm really sorry. What do you feel like doing? Just being kind of present for them. Sometimes they don't even need you to comment on it. It's just being able to articulate what, what that feeling is. They can do it out of 10. I'm feeling out of 10. I'm feeling 10 out of 10. I'm feeling so hyped. Or I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling a bit too out of 10, actually. And the checking in is really helpful. And also the, the curiosity. So in um, kind of with a therapeutic intention, we would look at how, how a child is behaving, perhaps. You know, a child might give you folded arms, grumpy face, I'm fine, right? Well, you know that child is not fine, but, um, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to challenge that. You're not going to say, well, you're obviously not fine, but you might say, hmm, it's really interesting because I noticed that you, you seem quite angry, like your facial expression, the way you're holding your arm, you're kind of crossed across your body. And I'm, I'm noticing that and I'm wondering if maybe you're not fine, but you know, you do, would you like to talk a little bit more? So you're kind of opening up that conversation and we call it like the note, the curiosity, the noticing and the wondering. And again, when I try this with my kids, they literally roll their eyes at me. So like my daughter accused me of, of using her as a lab rat the other day. Like, oh, you're doing that thing. You're noticing and wondering, mommy. But actually, <laughs> it is kind of handy to do with, with friends as well because people are, I'm fine, I'm fine. The, you know, tone of voice body language facial expression will all indicate to you when you're curious and noticing that they aren't fine and really the only thing you can meet that with is to wonder why they aren't fine and to be emotionally available for them to tell you why they're not fine and not to judge them when they tell you so having the tools isn't it and just yeah. you know thinking oh yeah I, I'm gonna do this I'm gonna try this approach yeah. it, you know not everything always works for everyone but I think you know I, I've had real challenges with the sort of the relationship with my kids over the last year well I shouldn't say both of them one of them it kind of cracks on and just gets on and then my other daughter is very emotional very sensitive um, and we come to kind of loggerhead um often in the way that we approach things together and I think you know so, so today's session has really helped me think about some different ways um and that I can actually support her and just be mindful and be a bit more open as to what she is feeling but this has been really useful with those tips to apply that and I'm I'm confident that actually if if I use some of these ways of doing it that it will improve because everything you've said kind of clicks it's like yeah that makes absolute sense it's almost like why why haven't I been doing this why aren't we given a manual at the minute we start becoming parents or even just adults with the responsibility a kind of dummies guide to actually 
uh, yeah, to being able to do some of this. And and I think now with children especially and the impact that, you know, the pandemic and, and, and other stresses are having on on their mental health. And I think absolutely every every tool or every approach or every sound bite and every tip is is good to have and, and to try. So that's so interesting and thank you. But um, you know, I, I agree with you. It's there's so many factors. And I, I you know, when you're at home with somebody all the time with all those pressures, and to watch that relationship as you described sort of deteriorating before your eyes is it's so it's so hard to hear. Um, but at the same time, it's so vulnerably honest. It's it's exactly as it is. And I find that with my own children, I'm like, at the end of the day, I don't think I was good enough today. I don't think I did a good enough job of making my child feel good about themselves and how can I be better? Um, and I, I want to end on just a couple of little pointers that have really helped me when I, when I try to understand what's going wrong perhaps in the relationships of my children. You know, certainly something that resonated so much for me when I was doing my um, counseling skills training was um, I learned about something called the attachment theory. Um, and it was a real life changer for me. Um, it's really worth looking it up. And again, I'll put a link uh, in the bio about it. But understanding your attachment style is essentially having an understanding of your relationship with your parents or your caregivers and how that interplays with the way you then act out in your relationships with your spouse, partner, children, other, you know, significant others. And it is such an eye opener. It's literally like the light bulb moment for me because I came across this when I had already had my three children and they were still young enough, you know, that I could get it better. Um, but I understood my attachment style with my own parents and how I totally was replaying that with my children and how things that they said and did would to like really trigger me into replaying that previous relationship that I have with my folks. And I was like, ah, the light is on now. I can see what's happening here. And uh, you know, just, there's some amazing like little quizzes that you can do online, attachment style quiz. So it's just about, again, understanding yourself a bit better. I mean, I find that my youngest son is basically a re-embodiment of me and he annoys me so much. I, mean, I couldn't find anyone more annoying. I love him so much, but it's so extreme. I'm like, what is this? You know, with my daughter, she's so calm and she's so grounded. I'm like, oh, she's the adult in our relationship. And then my middle one, I mean, bless him, he's just so quiet and shy. And I'm like, oh, it's just so confusing. But every one of them triggers and inspires me in a different way. But if I didn't know where I was coming from, I would definitely react differently to them um, and one other thing which I, I'm, I'm talking so much but I just got so passionate about this I came across this book years ago called five love languages which you might have come across as well it was originally written I think about marriage and relationships but it also extends into relationships with your children your friends um, understanding your love language and that doesn't mean I mean, Spanish or French or whatever but it, it's you know my love language is um, acts of service so if you um, came and mowed my lawn that, I'm like I'm gonna love you for that <laughs> yeah, but you know but your love language might be gifts so it might be well if you mow my lawn whatever but if you bring me you know a new top from wherever then that's going to really resonate with me. that feels really make, makes me feel like you really love me um and everyone has a different love language it might be time spent it might be you know say acts of service gift it might be kind words whatever it is if you know what yours is and you know what the love language of the people in your family are, um, then that will really help you to communicate with them in a way that makes sense.
So I think it's really interesting to know um, what your own love language is, what the love languages of children, or your, your people in your family or your home, so that you can communicate with one another in, in a, an effective way. Um, and there are, again, quizzes online that you and your family can do and they're quite fun. And you can be like, wow, what insight I have into my family. <laughs> so there we go. Hopefully there's a lot there, to, you know, maybe to unpack and lots of kind of, as you say, tools in your toolbox now to really make positive change and improve the mental health of and not only yourself, but also your family. That's lovely. Thank you so much, Sarah, for your time. That's been really helpful. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. So thank you.